That's excellent. That's excellent. Good morning. It's good to be with you. UMHB students, welcome back. Yeah. We're glad to have you here. Welcome. It's an exciting day, and uh, we have a wonderful day in store for you, and I'll share a little bit about that later on in the service. But I want to go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to wrap up our series, A Captive Life, and we're going to finish out the whole chapter, chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I, I, would, I just want to invite you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine with me for a moment a movement across North America where the culture and attitudes of people are changed. Your friends and family, once hopeless, understanding for the first time that they have been given an eternal purpose that is bigger than they are. Imagine our community that is desperate, being filled with courage and hope that comes only by way of the gospel. The brokenness of people around you experiencing for the first time the newness of life that's found only in Jesus. I have a question. Do you believe that that kind of movement can happen? Do you believe that that kind of movement can take place in, in North America, in our community, in your family. Do you believe that? Yes. I believe it. I believe that can happen, and here's what I know is true. I believe that happens when the church, you and I, God's people, when we align ourselves with God's mission to redeem and reconcile people to himself. You see, God is a missionary God. God is a missionary God, and he invites you and I to join in his mission of reconciliation. When you think about that, how crazy is that? That God invites you and me into this mission of reconciling mankind to God. What an amazing privilege that is. That you and I, who were once far off from God, that now we're reconciled to God, and at the same time, we're drafted into this missionary movement alongside Him, spreading the same good news that rescued us from our destruction. What an amazing invitation. What a privilege. What a joyful experience to get to be a part of the movement of God to make his name great in all the world. So my question this morning is, why don't we embrace God's mission more fully? If we believe, if we believe that God can change our community, that a movement could happen in North America and in our families and in our friend groups and on our campuses, if we truly believe that and we know that it's only possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then why don't we engage more fully in that mission? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for that. One could be, you might be sitting there going, well, isn't that what the paid professionals are for? 
That's what the preachers do. That's what God calls missionaries for. I don't have the gift of evangelism. They do. So that's their job. God's called me to something else. Another reason could be that maybe, we'd, maybe we're just not trained well enough. Maybe if we just had more training on how to do it, maybe then we might be more serious about this being on mission for God and his name. Maybe we lack courage. Maybe that's why we don't do it. Another reason might be that we just don't seize the opportunities. When the opportunities come, maybe we just, we just don't seize them. I think all of those reasons have their legitimacy, and there's probably a ton more, but I want to get to the heart of it before we jump into Colossians. The heart of it is this. Honestly and ultimately, at the heart, you and I have our own mission. We have our own way of calling the shots. We decide what is meaningful, purposeful, and worthwhile, and then we order our lives accordingly. It's true of us. We have our own mission. We want to do what we want to do. We like to be the boss of our own lives. And honestly, this goes back to the first sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve chose to be king and queen of their own kingdom rather than joyfully submitting to the authority of God in their lives. And so when you think about it, for a movement to occur like the one we considered, for you and I to get swept up in this grand movement of God's name being made known among the nations, we have to let go of our own. Our own way of seeing and approaching our lives will have to be radically reoriented. And so this morning, as we close out Colossians 4, we're going to be focusing on living purposefully. When you read through the rest of this chapter, that's what Paul is pointing to. He's pointing to this purposeful life that ultimately leads to God's mission to make his name known among the nations. And so my point this morning is very easy. A captive life takes the advancement of the gospel seriously. A captive life takes the advancement of the gospel seriously. So in this chapter, let me go ahead and give you the outline, okay? So if you're writing things down, you can go ahead and write this down, and then you can just look up and pay attention, okay? Here's the outline of chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. It's this. You're going to see that Paul talks about prayer and proclamation for the mission. Prayer and proclamation for the mission. Then he's going to talk about living wisely for the mission, and then finally, he's going to close by talking about how this is a shared mission. Okay? So that's where we're going. And I want to invite you to stand as we read. We're just going to read the first couple of verses, and then we're going to sit down because I'm going to start there, and then we're going to keep going, okay? So we stand to read God's Word together. Colossians chapter 4. I want you to just for a moment to go back at the beginning of chapter 3. I'm not going to read it. But Paul has began this journey in writing this letter to the church at Colossae, and he's saying, put off the old, and now that you are in Christ, here's what I want you to put on. He is continuing that as he walks through the, the end of his letter. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Paul writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
At the same time, pray also for us that that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You may be seated. So as Paul concludes this letter, he's saying that you, hey, Colossae believers, I want you to put off the old self and I want you to put on the new self. And he walks through this, this practical things that he he wants them to put on. He talks about humility and love and forgiveness, kindness. And then he talks about husbands and wives, slaves and bondservants, masters. Then he gets to here, and the first thing he says in this latter part of his letter in chapter 4 is he says to pray. Pray. Paul encourages them to pray, and he encourages them in three ways. If you look at the Bible there, it says three things. He says to pray steadfastly, to pray watchfully, and to pray with thanksgiving. If you've read through your Bibles or you're familiar with the scriptures about prayer, this is consistent throughout the Bible. Ephesians 6, pray always. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Jesus says in Luke 21, 36, pray always. You can see the early apostles in the book of Acts, especially Acts 6, they gave themselves continually to prayer, or Cornelius, who prayed always to God. Romans 12, 12, where it says to continue diligently in prayer. Or Philippians chapter 4, a familiar verse to most of us, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. So Paul says to these believers in Colossae, As you live a captive life, as you put off the old and you put on the new, pray. Pray consistently. Pray without losing heart. Have you ever prayed and lost heart? I have. I've prayed and lost heart. Well, God's just not answering my prayer. You see, God always answers prayer. Sometimes we just don't like the answer. Pray without losing heart. I remembered uh, uh, when I was a young boy, I was in school, it was an elementary school. I was a Rush Elementary, and our mascot was a roadrunner. That's intimidating. <laughs> and so, so I'm a roadrunner, and I'm learning everything, man. I'm in elementary school, and I know it all, right? And I'm taking everything in that the teachers are teaching me. And my dad, who's one of my spiritual heroes, one of the godliest men I've ever known, he had a, he had a vice that he struggled with for most of his life. He picked it up in Vietnam, and he, he did it most of the rest of his life, and he smoked. And he struggled with that. He fought it and fought it and fought it. He knew that it wasn't a, a, a thing that honored God, and he, wanted, he continued to try to fight it. Well, I, I decided, you know what? What better thing to do than for me to pray? And so I pray for my dad all the time. God, would you let my dad quit? Pray, God, would you let him quit? And finally, I just saw my dad just wasn't quitting. And so like any little good kid does that knows everything, he goes to confront his dad because obviously his dad doesn't know what smoking does, right? So I remember vividly, I'm I'm in the kitchen and my dad's over by the refrigerator and I'm looking at him and I'm like, dad, when are you going to stop smoking? 
Don't you know that it causes lung cancer? Don't you know that of all the side effects that this bad habit has? I mean, I've learned in school, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? I know what this is. Can't you just stop? And he said to me, he said, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'm gonna keep trying, but I don't know if I can. And I remember looking at him as a young boy and I said these words, and this is not a good example of praying without ceasing. I said to him, and I said, well, if you're not going to quit, then I'll just quit praying. I said those words, and I ran off into my room, and guess what I did? God, would you please let him quit smoking, right? See, that's not an example of praying continually. No, Paul challenges these believers in Colossae to pray. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't lose heart. Keep at it. He also says to pray with a mental alertness and with understanding. Be aware of what you're praying for, but more importantly, in prayer and mental alertness, in watchfulness, this is very important. We've got to remember who we're praying to. We're praying to an almighty God who can do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. You have not because you ask not. And I'm not talking about some prosperity gospel. But God can do exceedingly, abundantly, far more than you can ever think or imagine. Pray without ceasing. But pray with alertness, watchfulness, knowing that you're praying to a God who can do anything. And then he says to pray with thanksgiving. Oh, have gratitude in your hearts when you're praying. Pray to God with thanksgiving, knowing who God is and how he has provided and that he is faithful and that he hears your prayers, that you can approach him with confidence that he hears your prayers and he will answer your prayers according to his will. Pray with thanksgiving. But I want you to notice in verse 3, He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then in verse 3, he says, but as you pray, as you pray, there's something I want you to pray specifically for. He says, I want you to ask God for open doors and for clear communication for the mystery of Christ, which is the gospel. Paul tells these believers that as you pray, I want you to pray and ask that the Lord would provide opportunities for me while I'm in prison to clearly communicate the good news of the gospel. Pray that the Spirit would go before me, behind me, that he would open their ears and their hearts to hear the message of Christ. Pray for that. You see, Paul knew that he was in prison for a greater purpose. And he didn't want to miss the opportunity, but he also knew that unless people are praying for open doors and that the Spirit of God would go before him, that the message might not be received. And so he asked them to pray specifically for that. Paul understood that the advancement of the gospel is God's work alone. And so pray. You and I are called to participate in that work. You and I should lean into that same desire to see the opportunities before us to proclaim the gospel. Paul saw that while he was in prison. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity or a moment in your life, rather, where maybe at an airplane, you're sitting by somebody you don't know, 
awkward. Or maybe you're in a restaurant by yourself and you see somebody else or in the cafeteria, you see somebody else sitting next to you alone. Or maybe a new neighbor moved in. You don't know them. But that moment where you're interacting with somebody that you've never met before and then that interaction ends and then all of a sudden you realize, man, I missed the moment. I missed the opportunity. I've shared the story with you before, but I was reminded as I was preparing this that there was a time when I was in Amarillo working at a church and the Lord was just convicting me of my lack of sharing the gospel with people. And so I prayed diligently. I said, God, would you give me this week, which is a dangerous prayer. It's dangerous. I said, God, would you give me this week the opportunity to share the gospel with one person? Give me the opportunity. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. Well, I'm at the gas station filling up my geo prism. And I'm putting gas in my car and this man walks up to me. And he was very friendly and he said, hey, I was wondering, you know, it's cold outside and I was wondering if you had some extra money that I could go and get some coffee or hot chocolate or something. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, let me look in my ashtray because that's where all good Christians keep their money, right? <laughs> so I opened up my ashtray, opened up my ashtray and man, I didn't, there wasn't a penny in there. There wasn't a penny. I was a college student. And I shut the ashtray and I get out of my car and I look at him and I said, man, I don't have any money. I'm sorry. I'm just going to pay for my gas here with my checks and, um, or my check, and that probably means I don't have money either, but I'm going to write the check anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And he says, no problem, I understand, and he walked away, and I get in my geo prism, put it in drive, and I'm driving down Bell Street, going back to the church that I worked at, and it hit me. Matt, that was your person. You missed it. You ever been there? Just missing the opportunities. And Paul's saying, even while I'm in prison, I don't want to take this for granted and I don't want to miss opportunities. So church at Colossae, pray. Pray that God would open those doors. Pray that the Spirit would go before me. Pray that I can communicate the gospel clearly to the people that I'm in prison with. So our first application is clear. Brothers and sisters, persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel and seize these moments that God has for us. You see, every single one of us is on a mission field for God. Have you ever thought about that? I was talking to a, a good friend of mine this last week or two weeks ago, and uh, they, they had went on a vacation. And they had asked for people to pray that they, while they're on a cruise, that they would have opportunities to share the gospel. You see, my friend, as I'm sitting across the table from him, or sitting in his vehicle, actually, I'm sitting there and I'm reminded he wasn't just going on vacation to put his feet up and relax. There's people on that boat that need to hear. You're on your team because people need to hear. You're in the classroom that he has you in, teachers and students, so that people can hear. He has you in your neighborhood so that people can hear. He has you in your family so that your family members can hear. Every single one of us are on a mission field for God. So my encouragement to you is to be bold and courageous and make Jesus known. The call to make disciples of all nations should dictate every single decision of our lives. 
purpose of your life, the purpose of my life, is to love a great God and to follow the Great Commission, to share Him. So view everything from your education to your career to your family to your finances through that lens. Prayer and proclamation for the advancement of the gospel. Number two, look at verses five through six. Paul talks about living wisely for the advancement of the gospel. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He says, walk in wisdom toward unbelievers in three specific ways. First, Paul says, walk in wisdom. You and I know this. This isn't new for you and I. The way you walk speaks volumes. What you do speaks. Notice that walk comes before talk. He says walk in wisdom, and then he says something about talk here in just a moment. Walk in wisdom. What does that mean? It means to properly evaluate circumstances and to make godly decisions. Walk according to his word. Follow his commandments. To love God with your whole heart, mind, and strength. To walk in wisdom. Walk with a carefully planned, consistent Christian lifestyle. To walk with a biblical worldview. To look at everything through that lens. Walk wisely. You know as well as I do that a Christian can walk like a fool. We can. We can walk foolishly. We live foolishly, and then we try to talk, we, sh- we try to share the hope of the gospel, and nobody believes us. Nobody hears. Nobody listens. And so Paul tells them, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. It's crucial to the advancement of the gospel. The way you live matters. Walk in wisdom. But then he says, the second point he says is to make the best use of time. So redeem the time. Redeem the time. We often think we can put off things until tomorrow. Any procrastinators in the room? Come on, be confess. Yep. Yeah, we, 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 that's what we do, Right? We can put that off till tomorrow. I was, I was telling Josh this morning as we were praying. I told him, I said, at midnight last night, I woke up. And I was thinking about this message, and it just was going through my mind. And this, this question came up to me. I'm laying in bed, and this question came up. How many people have entered into hell because of our delay? Because of our, I'll wait till tomorrow. Because we didn't seize the opportunity in the moment that God gave us. For whatever reason, they may be legitimate reasons, but they're not more important than the advancement of the gospel. Seizing those moments, there should be some sense of urgency behind the gospel and its advancement. You and I know that today is here and it's gone tomorrow, life is short, people are dying, you're dying, Jesus is coming. 
And when are we going to begin to live the way God wants? How much opportunity are we going to squander just waiting till tomorrow? When are we going to begin to share Christ with that friend, that coworker, that family member? When are you going to use your abilities and gifts and talents that God has given you for the advancement of the gospel? Is it going to be when you have enough money? Well, when's that? We can't wait till tomorrow, friends. Eternity's at hand. There's got to be some sense of urgency for us. So my encouragement to you is that every time you have an opportunity, redeem it for eternity in the advancement of the gospel. Life is short. Don't waste it on temporary. There's more to this life and the hours that we spend on our phones, scrolling, taking pity videos for TikTok, watching TV. Not that those are bad things, but what if we use some of that time or more of our time for the advancement of the gospel? And all the while, people are dying that have never heard Jesus. Then Paul goes on in verse 6. This is another way to live wisely, to walk in wisdom, to seize the moments, and thirdly, to let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, he says. Extend grace as you speak to others. Let your speech reflect a changed life in Christ that's different from the world around you. What benefit is it if we look like the world in the way we talk? Think about the way the world talks. It speaks harshly. It's me-centered, gossips, slanderous toward others, vulgar, and sadly, it's not much different in the church. It's not much different amongst Christians. But Paul tells these believers that as you take off the old and you put on the new self in Christ, that we're commanded to make gracious speech a habit. Whether you're being persecuted, whether it's a stressful situation, whether you're being misunderstood, whether it's a difficulty or you've been wronged, whether it's your spouse or your child or your boss or your annoying roommate. Your speech should be kind, gracious, Loving, fitting, thoughtful, and gentle. But Paul says not just gracious speech. He says seasoned with salt. In other words, what Paul is saying is, here is it ought to have some kind of effect. As you're in those circumstances, especially with outsiders, your speech, what you talk about, should be seasoned with salt. It should have some kind of effect. It should be seasoned with salt. You've got just the right answer for just the right moment for just the right person. Your words are, are, you're looking for opportunities for your words to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Your words should direct others to Christ and display the beauty and the excellencies of Jesus. So friends, our actions and our words should be in line with what we claim to believe so that unbelievers can see and hear the gospel clearly. 
Pray in proclamation for the advancement of the gospel. Live wisely for the advancement of the gospel. And finally, if you'll look at verses 7 through 18. As you're reading through all that, I I just want to share with you what Paul is talking about in these verses. He's talking about partnering together for the advancement of the gospel. Throughout these verses, I'm not going to read them, but throughout these verses we see that Paul champions shared ministry. You'll notice that Paul, throughout these verses, these last verses, he reveals a good number of people and he'll use words like like contributed, encouraged, comforted, prayed, labored with, and on behalf of the believers in Colossae. But as you look through that list of people that Paul talks through, I want you to notice two things in particular. Number one, first, notice that Paul willingly shares his ministry and he acknowledges the work of these people. He makes reference to fellow servants in verse 7, fellow prisoners in verse 10, and fellow workers in verse 11. Paul's not a lone ranger. This is a shared ministry. It's a corporate ministry. He's not, not off on his own trying to build his own kingdom. He willingly shares the ministry, and he willingly acknowledges the people who've been a part of it. You'll see in that chapter, he mentions Epaphras. He started the work in Colossae. Tychicus and Onesimus deliver the letter to the Colossians. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, they ministered to and with Paul. Luke was Paul's friend and physician. Nympha was a host for the church in her city. These are all people who are connected with Paul and Paul with them because they're sharing this ministry and the advancement of the gospel. Also, I want you to notice this. As you look at this group of people, the diversity of this group, Paul includes a variety of people from different backgrounds and different educational levels, different ethnic groups, different professions. It's a group of people that by worldly standards have very little in common, but what they do have in common is greater than anything that could divide them. And that's Jesus. I love this this last little part of the letter because God shows his wisdom in how he assembles the church. Consider this church. We, We have unique and important roles to play in the advancement of the gospel. We're all gifted differently. We all come from different backgrounds. Every single one of us. A unified and diverse people fulfilling the purpose for which it exists is unstoppable, friends. We partner together, link arms for the advancement of the gospel. So as we consider God's purpose in history and the part of it that that he's called us to participate in, we could easily get overwhelmed, we could easily get discouraged. Consider the amount of people in the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus or don't have a gospel-centered church. Think about the hurting people just in our community alone. The people that we are called to make disciples of, of our neighbors, where God has us here in Belton. Add on that, people are messy. And the mission of God has called us to can seem impossible 
But honestly, as I was thinking about this, honestly, it's when we think about that, it's really just easier to do church, isn't it? To ignore God's purpose in history, to make church a nice little neat social thing where no one gets hurt, we're safe little Christian bubble, we can stay comfortable. Church, the scary truth is that in many churches that has become a reality. And First Baptist Belton, we're no less susceptible if we're not careful. It's a scary fact that we can comfortably come and do church with no regard for God's mission to go and to share the gospel. Our purpose and drive must be fueled by a desire for God to be glorified, to be displayed in all types of people, in every tongue, tribe, and nation. It should be motivated by God's worthiness to be worshipped and cherished and adored. And my prayer is that we would be a people that pray, that proclaim, that live, and that partner together to this end. That's who we're to be. And so the challenge is clear this morning as I close. The challenge is clear. For those of you here that have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your challenge is this. Don't delay. The time is now. The scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What you and I deserve because of our sin and rebellion against God is death, is spiritual separation from him. But God in his loving kindness has a gift that was purchased by him with his son, Jesus Christ, and it's free to you. All you have to do is receive it. That's all you have to do. It's there for you today. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the scripture says you will be saved. That's for you today. Don't delay. There were two young people last week we're sitting maybe right where you are. They prayed, said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Save me. That could be you today. Don't delay. For the followers of Jesus, the challenge is the same. Don't delay. It's the same. It's time to pray, and it's time to pray for open doors. It's time to seize opportunities to spread the gospel. No more excuses, no more I'll wait until tomorrow. It's time to start living wisely instead of foolishly. It's time to throw off the sin that so easily entangles, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Forsake the sin that's destroying you and your witness. And it's time for you and I to link arms with our resources, with our time, 
and with our words and our lives to give ourselves completely so that others may taste and see that he is good. Don't delay. It's time, church. So for those who've never put their faith and trust in Christ, here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing a song together. But if that's you and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's what I want to challenge you to do. No matter if you're in the balcony, no matter if you're sitting down here on the bottom floor, right outside in in our Connection Central, right after I pray, we're going to sing and stand. And I want to invite you, I want to challenge you as we stand to go to Connection Central. There's people back there who are ready to talk to you about the gospel to share with you the love of Jesus, to pray with you, and you can experience that new life in Christ today. Don't delay. Followers of Jesus, as we sing, maybe you come to the altar and to pray. God, would you give me the opportunity this week to share the gospel with someone? Will you give me boldness and courageous heart to share? Help me to live wisely. I confess and repent my sin. Don't delay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the hope we have in Christ. And God, I pray that we would not be a people that have been invited to your table and we never invite others to come and join. Help us to be urgent people knowing that tomorrow is not promised and that eternity is at hand. Fill us with a desire to make your name proclaimed and cherished. Unify our hearts and strengthen our resolve to link arms in this glorious and joyful mission. And God, I pray that we would give our all to it. Let us spend our lives on your purposes and your kingdom alone. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.